You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. The Lacrosse Alpha Burley Pro delivers an athletic and glove-like fit that will hold the foot in place to prevent chafing and rubbing while on the move. This boot comes in a variety of camo options and insulation options as well. Visit lacrossefootwear.com and check out the Alpha Burley Pro today. All right, welcome to Land of Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. And we're right here for another hunting podcast on Sportsman's Nation. Um, kind of doing something a little different. And it's yeah. amazing. To me, I'm like, I, I asked you pre-show, I'm like, has he never been on? I can't believe we've done almost over 100 podcasts Over 100 now. different ones. 80, this we did 81st Habitat hunting po- Habitat podcast, excuse me, this week, and then we've done I don't know 25, 26 Somewhere hunting podcasts. But and I know it's funny because like he's been in the films. We talk about him all the time. Talk about things that he's seen and share, and just the insights, conversations that we've had. But your brother Chad has never been on the podcast. Never been on the podcast. So that's today's guest. Yeah, my brother, Mister. We're, we're going to the bullpen. Chad Keith. Chad, I know you're driving. Um, where are you at? What you wearing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, please, no, don't answer. <laughs> I'm on I-49, heading south, heading into Arkansas. Or I'm in Arkansas, anyway. Gotcha. Headed home. Now, my brother, for a little bit of uh, background, a lot of the stuff that Matt and I talk about on the podcast, there's a third party that's often discussing it with us, and that's you. Certainly. Uh, pretty yeah. much everything we do and a lot of the work you're involved in, but we're the ones in Missouri on the podcast, and you're the one in Arkansas. Yeah. A um, lot, of, a lot of the stuff I'm doing the work, and then you guys talk about it. <laughs> yeah, Except the right. record straight. That's yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. All, all the pictures that get posted are all Chad's. Yeah. Before and after. So, as you guys know, Landon Legacy is just Chad, and Matt and I are just the grunts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the voices, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> We're the faces. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we don't have a bright future. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, that's uh, that's a little bit of background. Chad, you're four years older than me. Uh, of course, we've been hunting and hunting and uh, 
oh, managing the farm together forever. Um, but since this is the hunting podcast, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your recent trip to Colorado. 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 Um, to do a DIY <laughs> elk hunt. Yeah. So well, give me a little bit of the background. Well, we went we went out around Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Uh, it's it's an it's it's not over the counter. We drew for the tags. What, what's that uh, draw situation uh, like for you, Chad? It's about every three years is what we get drawn. That was we went three years ago. You've got a chance at two years, but it's generally three years. And that's for and a bull, or is that if that's, you get a that's cow for, tag? Uh, ours is an either sex tag. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, you're obviously, you're hoping for a bull. Um, I, I killed one the last time and I killed a bull this time. I passed a cow about three days in and so was pretty, hoping I didn't regret it. You're back to a professional. Yeah. Pretty much a professional guide. <laughs> in yeah. The yeah. Yeah. Considering, considering it's the second time I've been on an elk trip and I think I'm just, I've got the luck behind me right now. I, I, I'll tell you why. And I'm going to tell everybody why right here. Chad is a federale, yeah. works for the U.S. Forest Service, and he gets a, a a good chunk of vacation time to take off to go to Colorado. Isn't that right? <laughs> well, I do get quite a bit of a of vacation time. But, but um, you you bank those hours and you save them appropriately. Yeah, I don't take off all through the summer. I save it up for the fall and the spring. Yeah, That's and right. I, I think this is one thing unique about you uh, when comparison to the, comparing you to the other uh, coworkers is a lot of times I think when you're doing fire and you get like hazard pay and or time and a half pay when it's overtime, some people just take the additional cash, but you take it as vacation time. Isn't that right? <laughs> I mean, you, I've, I did that when I first started out to build up the overtime for hunting trips. Gotcha. But now I'm, I'm to the point where, I mean, with a forest service, you can carry over 240 hours of leave every year. So, <laughs> so many people hate point. you right now. Yeah. Yeah. We, we hate you. <laughs> Us being the prime. When you get to that point, it's, it's all riding that line and trying to keep it close to that. Mm-hmm. Especially you plan ahead for a big a big two-week trip, you plan ahead and try to bank up your hours to where you've got for for big trips. Yeah, gotcha. So. I I think uh, you work the system. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you work. Well, it well. they've got to give you they've got to give you that much leave to have to put yeah. up with working for the government. That's right. I've always made this joke to people when they ask me what my brother does, um, and of course I tell them he works for the U.S. Forest Service. But um, I I I say this like, is he hunt a lot? And I'm like. You know, there was there was times where work when I worked for the juries and I worked at Growing Deer where that's what we were trying to make videos, so we were hunting all the time. Now we don't hunt, and we hunt quite a bit still with Land and Legacy, but it's not a it's not like our our business is devoted to we have to kill deer. Um, and through all that, you still hunted about the same amount that we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yep. Yep. Well, and 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 you know. When I first started, though, too, we hunted a whole lot more than what we do now because we've gotten wiser with how we hunt. It goes back I mean, to that man. Back in the, the early days, yeah. we hunted every day just because. Yeah, and, the season was and open. And now it's, yeah. I mean, we'd have hunted, we'd have hunted Saturday morning and evening, no doubt, because it was on a Saturday. And now it's to the point where it's like we know 
the temperature's terrible. I mean, Saturday evening I did watch a field, but I was way back away from everything because it was so humid that I was sweating like crazy. But we, I we was kind of scouting ahead. <laughs> yeah, didn't even hunt, didn't even hunt opening day. Didn't hunt tonight. No, it was a hundred and hundred. It felt like a hundred and thirteen when I looked at the when I looked at oh. the weather app. Well, and and see, like I'm I'm going down here to work and looking at the weather. I'm I. Did we lose I'll him? Work. Oh, you cut out for a second. Oh, okay. Saying I won't be up for two weeks to hunt. So mm-hmm. okay. I'll well, be working because it's going to be so hot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. yeah. Well, anyway, so I guess back to the um, to the hunt. It's a DIY Colorado uh, managed hunt. So you draw every three yeah. years. You have to get preference points. How much a preference point cost? I can't remember. It's they've changed the system in the past year to where, or in the past year to where you. you you originally you'd have to just go ahead and put in like you were going to get drawn. Now you just buy the tag, buy the permit. They don't even charge you, or you buy the point. They don't even charge you for the whole tag. Ah, it was gotcha. it, they've changed it around. I can't I can't remember exactly. I mean, it's one of those you don't you're going to buy the point no matter what. So sure. you don't worry about the cost as much as just going ahead and putting in. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But. So what's but the overall I mean, tag cost whenever you draw? What's the tag? Oh, it's like six sixty. Okay. Something around there. I can't remember exactly the number, but it's right around that, which and, I think Colorado, we were talking about it on the trip. I think Colorado's cheaper than Wyoming and Montana both, but Montana, it's a combination tag. Gotcha. Um, where you get both. Because, you yeah. know, we've all been talking about trying to do a trip too, and it's mm-hmm. you've got to weigh all those things. Yes. But huh. but it's we're, we're going public land. I mean, no guides or anything. Actually, where we're going, you can ride. There's there's four wheeler trails and stuff, so you can ride four wheelers in, which makes it somewhat handy. You can get, you can get back away from the vehicles a little farther, and then it's it's still a. We were walking about seven miles a day, mm-hmm. even with riding four wheelers. And that's but, all flat ground, though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, flat flat ground. What's the elevation out there? Uh we were between nine and ten. So pretty between pretty nine and ten thousand feet. Huh. I've been we were pretty high. I've been uh, around Steamboat and I've been around Trinidad, and they were both at six to seven. Yeah. Uh, what did you have to do? Like, I, and there's different techniques and stuff like that, Chad, for you to be or a person to get used to that change in elevation. What I, are some of those things that you well, do to get your <laughs> it body started ready? Out, and, I, I ran all summer. Right. I was trying to run at least two or three times a, a week. And then uh, the last time we went, of course, that was the first time ever going out there. So I had researched and researched the best things to do. And one of them was to drink water almost nonstop, to never let a water bottle, never be without a water bottle in your hand. That's and prior to the trip or like once you get out there? In that once you get out there. Gotcha. I mean, even on the, I started about, like when we got into Colorado, just on the drive, I started because you don't want to have to stop, <laughs> stop and <laughs> yeah. pee all the time. Right. But you start then, and that's they say that that's how your body acclimates itself to the to the altitude the is one of the ways. And then I uh, I'd also read a, a baby Tylenol every morning helps with mm. the altitude stuff. So that's what I would take a baby a baby Tylenol every morning and be drinking water. Of course. After about four or five days of it, and you're tired, and you kind of 
slack off on the water drinking, but by then you're kind of used to it. But for the first two days, I'm guzzling it. Hmm. Down in Luke water actually, and sucking wind. Yeah. <laughs> Luke actually made the comment and asked me how old I was because I was having to, I'd be like, dude, I got to stop a second. Yeah. I got to stop a second. And it's like, how old are you? And he's like, dude, I'm guzzling water. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's why. Yeah. I get that comment all the time. When I was in Nebraska, they say it. You know how it is for me, Chad. I, I don't ever yeah. stop drinking or eating, snacking. And so um, it's like, how old are you? Well, I'm not that old, but how many waters have I, how many more waters have I drank than you? A lot. Yeah. So, yep. so you were hunting, and I see in the pictures a lot of aspens, probably a lot. Yeah, of, it's. It's a it's a pretty good mix. There's a lot of the we call it dark timber, but it's like the spruce. And of course, I mean out west the pines have had a huge bug kill, mm. so you'll find pockets of pines and some younger pines. But it's a it's a good mix of they call we call them parks, and it's like the open aspen timber and then like sections of dark timber all around so it's a good mix to where like the the elk will go in bed in that dark timber through the day especially it was it was getting up into the around 80 about every day we were out there so the last time we went we could hunt all through the day and they bugle they bugle way up into the morning this time it was so hot they'd be done by 9 30. oh wow so we would go back to camp about every day because it was just like I'm, we're just getting hot out here walking around. We're not doing any good. So mm-hmm. we would go back and then go back out there mid-afternoon and start listening again and glassing. So, on, so. You, you've been successful now twice. Um, and, mm-hmm. and you've been out there about the same time, same general area. Um, what are the elk doing? How much bugling is typically going on, and how are you using that to be successful? Like, well, what's the typical game plan each day like? You know, I, I, I've only been twice. Luke, Luke Anderson, Adam, and I, mutual buddy, he's been four times, and every time it's a little different. The time before they were really bugling, but they still weren't really coming into the call. Um, this time they they bugled, but they were it seemed like we were earlier. They were, we were still seeing groups of bulls, like mm. not the, I mean the, there were some bigger herd bulls that had 10 to 12 cows with them, but you had random groups of like three or four bulls by themselves, like just feeding. Right. Huh. So you couldn't really, they really weren't responding to calls and see like Luke, one of the first years he went out there, he said it was one of those, you could cow call, and and have bulls come running from the next from the next hillside. They would come running from hundreds of yards away and come running up there towards you. Wow. And it, he goes. We go the same general time every year. It's just it just happens. What's that time? We go. There's guys in the group that that are muzzleloader hunting. They put in for muzzleloader cow tags. So we go out there a few days before muzzleloader season and then hunt through that week of muzzleloader of muzzleloader season. So you kind of deal with a few more people with muzzleloader season going on, but in general, we're going farther than most of the people are muzzleloader cow hunting. So they don't go mm-hmm. too far from the four wheelers. So we can kind of get somewhat away from them. Sure. What? So that's yeah. always typically first and second week of September, sometime in that range when you're there. Yeah. Sometime around, I think we left on, we left Labor Day this year. 
is when we headed out. Yeah. So. Okay. Sometime around the first couple of weeks of September. Gotcha. Uh, now I think it's interesting because, um, if you want to share it now, I've always heard it's always funny. You hear things about what the elk are going to be like, but then as as Matt loves to do the hashtag woodsmanship, um, <laughs> it's like. People tell you things, then you get out there and you listen, and you're like, that's not really how it is. Like, you always hear elk or ghosts on the mountain. Like, you don't ever hear a move. Super stealthy. But then oh. you, you tell me they're as loud as can be, like sound like cows. They're or- like a herd of cows walking around, what we've, what we've experienced. Now, now, the group this time, when I called them in, of course, there were like nine or ten elk walking in. And it was a little windy on the on the ridge top, so I didn't hear them as well. But I mean, you'll hear them from the next hillside a lot of times. You, you hear rocks rolling, and it's like there's an elk over there. I mean, the last the last time we went, I was even, and even this time, we'll get elk to bugle back at us by cow calling and then rolling rocks around, and they they associate that with elk walking. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they're not they're not the most quiet creatures but you look at how big they are and they're walking around on that terrain sure, where it's really rocky and really steep i mean they're gonna they're gonna knock some stuff around it's no difference from us you know in the springtime using a, a turkey feather or turkey um wing yeah. to scratch in the leaves or do a fly down it's using and replicating that same natural sound that they're used to hearing and it, it honestly probably builds confidence in your setup they're like oh that really is an elk it's not yeah. just one stationary it's just, it's it's one of those I mean, obviously, I'm about the farthest thing from an expert on calling elk, but to, in my mind, it's just one of those, the same thing, just to, to add a little confidence mm-hmm. and make it more realistic. I mean, I was, I was stomping sticks and, and stuff just to make it sound like an elk walking around because yeah. anytime you're close to the elk, I mean, you hear them, they're not the... They're not the most nimble of creatures. They're when they walk over. There's dead trees everywhere, and they walk over them. They'll kick their legs on them. You you hear a lot of noise when they walk around. So hmm. we just tried to mimic that. The this bull that you killed this year, you called in, correct? Yes. Now three years ago, did you call that bull in? No. Okay. No three three years ago, the day I killed that one, I found a really good crossing, and. It just happened to be a day when it was like 40 mile an hour sustained wind. Mm. So there was no chance of hearing a bull. But, I mean, when you drive out there that far, you're going to hunt every day you can. And we found those crossings, and I we, we split up and sat on, on both. And I, that bull happened to walk through, and I shot it. It was following a couple cows. These, I, I was cow calling and got in between a couple – a couple bulls there were two in the group that i called in and then there was another one off the hill and these sounded they responded a lot more so i moved in closer to those these two bulls and actually called once i got close enough i could hear the cow the cows calling back to me and they actually came in first and then the the bulls the bull i killed was midway in the group and then the the other one was in the back but so you had they a all lot came, of eyeballs Oh, yeah, I had a lot of eyeballs, and actually had to break a, I had to break an aspen, like break one limb over, to get a gap to shoot through, because they kind of it was one of those I was moving and I was pretty aggressive. It was kind of late in the week, so it was 
time to get something done and I kept moving closer and closer and I got on one side of a rock pile and they stepped over another rock pile and it was like, oh man, they were right there and I had to reach up slow and break a limb over just to have a gap to shoot through. Mm. So Sometimes you just got to be aggressive and, and get in there tight. We, we experienced yeah. that here with, with turkeys, um, you know, especially when you're trying to call them in and they're, they're vocal, but they're not completely closing the distance and you just got to get in that and wheelhouse. See, we, we'd kind of dealt with that because we were on some bigger bulls earlier and we're trying to play it safe with them. We were, the wind was really swirling. It's just like, just like hunting around home where it's yeah. all the hills and stuff. The wind swirls really bad. And we were dealing with the thermals and trying to get it right. And we got in really close on a couple big bulls with a bunch of cows a couple times. And Luke was actually halfway drawn on one and had a cow see him and run off. And then the next morning was muzzleloader season and they were either close or we had a couple shoot uh, either a cow out of this group or close to them, but watched the group run up over the hill of the bigger bulls. And we never heard them bugle again. They'd been bugling. They were about the most consistent of any of them. Oh, wow. And we never heard them again. So it's kind of one of those, you try to play it safe, but then you never know once the muzzleloader season opens and you put more people out there, it can shut them down pretty quick and you kind of have to, it's, you've got to ride a fine line of being too aggressive or being too passive and Definitely. you hate to spook anything because we could have spooked those just as easily, but then somebody else spooked them. So, yeah. Hmm. What is the uh, what is the calling like? What what are you doing to try and call these? Are you doing a lot more bugling or cow calling? Well, last time it was a lot of bugling was all we could get them to respond to. Um, this time, like I called these in with pretty much just cow calls. That's all I did was I had a a mouth call in my mouth and would just cow call and just change the tones, change the length of it just trying to mimic multiple cows coming towards them and then stopped. But uh, throughout the trip, I mean, you know, you hear people talk about public land. You want to tone down your calling, all that stuff. There were times that you couldn't get bulls to bugle without bugling to them. Mm-hmm. We, we had a couple close calls where we got some bulls pretty fired up by bugling, and I was – rolling rocks and stomping sticks and had a stick breaking or thrashing another tree next to us just to make noise. And they, they bugled pretty well, but they had a bunch of cows with them and they, they weren't having, they weren't coming any closer, but hmm. that's read, a majority the of body, it. The temperature. Like, yeah. You just, you're just kind of, I don't know. You just kind of playing it by ear on what they're, what they're doing. Hmm. So as this bull is coming in, you said he's he's middle of the pack. Kind of kind of bring us down the the whole shot opportunity. How far was he? How were you able to get drawn with that many eyes in such a close confined space? Well, you know, I've I've always heard that elk as long as you're not moving, if you have something behind you, they they don't pick you off. And I've seemed to have better luck with them than like I don't think you could get away with what I've gotten away with with a Ozark whitetail because mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> these 
I had a majority of the herd right there at like 45 yards when I eased my hand up and moved the, the aspen limb down to get a hole to shoot through. And then I had a, a crosswind on the hill and all but the bull I killed started to walk. I was against a rock pile and they started to walk on the backside of the rock pile downwind of me. But the, the one bull came in like on the other side of the rock pile at 25 yards oh boy. and started to walk out in the hole. And then I, I don't know if the other elk hurt, smelled me a little, but I heard him move around quite a bit more. And this bull stopped and started to go back to see what they were doing. But he was at 25 yards. So he got behind a couple aspen and I drew. He stepped to a, a hole between a couple of them. And I shot and hit him. I think I lodged it in my offside shoulder. And he ran maybe 10 yards and fell over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was oh, one that geez. I shot, and I, I could see the arrow sticking out, and I'm trying to grab another arrow just in case. Right. And I look up, and he's, he'd already stopped and was standing there looking, and I could see the blood, and was like, I think he's hit pretty good. And about that time, he just tips over and falls over. Oh, wow. And then all the other elk run up to 30 yards from me and are standing there looking at him. Jeez. Wow. And... That's and crazy. then go back to bugling. Like, they walked just over the rock pile from me, and I could hear the one bugling again. That's nuts. Because I've not elk hunted before, and I hear of the horror stories of people putting what seems to be, like, good shots on elk. Um, and whether they're running uphill, downhill, they don't bleed much. They're extremely tough animals. They're hard to track whatever that's what the animal gets away from. well and it's and... it's also the terrain out there because like yeah. luke luke had killed one two days before i did and he made looking at the shot looking at the entrance and exit he had a pass through on his oh wow and yeah. it was not far behind the shoulder the entrance was a little bit farther back but not much and but it ran downhill and it's it's really dry out there this year Right. We were, I mean, it was an inch or two of powder in the four-wheeler trails. So no campfires, so, probably. No campfires at all. No, no grills, even. Wow. What like y'all do? charcoal grills. Oh, okay. Yeah. But propane, just propane. It, yeah, it made it really, really tough to blood trail. I bet. And he shot his midway up a mountain, and it ran downhill the whole time. So, you know how tough it is to blood trail when a when an animal's running downhill yeah. on nothing but adrenaline it, it doesn't bleed much and <clears throat> we uh we we looked and looked and looked for it and ended up stumbling upon it just on the way out we're like oh, well there it is well him and his dad larry actually looked up the trail heard the flies buzzing because mm-hmm. i mean the Got the them. flies out there are horrible notorious for notorious for finding animals and like you you make sure you have black pepper and anytime you cut them like i gutted mine and then when i went back to go before i went back to get help i covered everything in black pepper and it keeps the flies and yellow jackets off interesting i'd never heard that before yeah. there you go and it worked i i mean it's one of those you're kind of skeptical the first time you do it but that's we walked back up there and there were there were flies on the hide right but they were not where i'd put pepper on on the, on the cut or anything wow huh. There you go. Things you learn yeah. along yep. the way. 
what what head did you shoot? What broad head did you shoot that cow with, or that, I that started, bull with? I shot it with the hypodermic. Okay. The mm-hmm. the Rage hypodermic. Did you shoot the first one three years ago? What did you use then? I used a Havoc, the G5 okay. Havoc that time. Yep. So both two inch expandables, two rear yeah. deploying expandables. Yep. Yeah. How far There's did your elk run two, three years ago? Ah, uh, 60, 70 yards. <laughs> You're a I, joker. I did, Everybody yeah. hates did, you right now. <laughs> I did almost the same, the same, the same shot. I shot it at like 25 yards and it stuck in the offside shoulder. And I watched it, it actually ran down the hill about 60, 70 yards. And I topped the hill and watched it fall over. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. So Joker. <laughs> you called it, called it in this year. You set up on a pinch point three years ago. Um, what I think what's awesome about this one and why I mean, I really like the sounds of this camp is, is the camp line. The camp life. Oh, the camp life for this one, for this hunt is awesome. Cause you <clears throat> like the last time it's, it's a group of older guys that have gone for 40 years. I think it's kind of their tradition. They go about every year, depending upon who has tags. Mm-hmm. The last time we went, none, there were, there were six or seven of us and none of the other guys had tags. And all they did was bought they they bought small game licenses and and grouse hunted. Oh, neat! I, <clears throat> I saw where they shot some grouse this year too. Yeah, yeah. That's they all would get small game licenses and ride around on four wheelers and just kind of they would take it easy. And then the meals are a huge deal. Well, this year only all but one of the guys, Luke's dad Larry, he did not. He did not have a tag. The two guys had. There were six of us this year, and two guys had cow muzzleloader tags, and another guy had a had a archery tag, and then Luke and I had archery tags. Were you the but only two to kill this year? I haven't heard. They left a couple days after us. Gotcha. Now they were struggling to see cows, so I I don't know if they ended up ever actually seeing any. Gotcha. But. Uh, the meals, I mean, one night we had pork cutlets. <laughs> they <laughs> they fried pork cutlets, I think. And, of course, we've been walking Start all day, walking like – We've been walking like seven miles, and you get back, and there's a big old meal of, like, fried pork cutlets and Jeez. mashed potatoes and gravy. And, I mean, we gorged on that. I think one of the funny one that you told me was you guys had killed, and I don't know if it was Luke's elk or your elk, but you you skipped lunch, and you came back that that night. That was my we we were already planning a fish fry that night, Mm -hmm. and the guy that brought the fish freezes them, and he had he had sixty fillets that he'd brought with us. Oh, crappie! Like from I well I I think it was combo. I don't think it was just him. Because all the guys crappie fish, so they all gather up stuff to bring. But we ended up having 60 crappie fillets, and we were going to have fish that night. Well, then I killed that morning. Yep. So none of us ate none of us ate lunch. So we were starving by the time we got back. And the plan was we were going to fry the fish, and then we'd eat cold fish the next day. Well, 
we ended up sitting down and we're so hungry and we got done and we looked and we're like, well, how much fish is left? And we'd eaten 55 fillets between six of us. <laughs> oh my word. Wow. And, and that was with, with fried potatoes as well. So, <laughs> and I think I'm pretty sure cause, cause see, uh, Larry also does, does homemade pies too. Oh my God. So like oh, he did an apple jokers. pie at one point and he did a, he did a cherry pie that day. So, man alive. I mean, crazy. they they take their meals seriously in that camp. No yeah, kidding. more, more seriously planning. than the hunting. It yeah, sounds it's like, like y'all plan a month out for like what you need. Oh, to they gear wise, they plan like the meals. I mean, it's it's every guy, every guy. Some of the guys like their wives will make something and freeze it, mm-hmm. and they bring it out, and it's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna thaw this out today and and eat this. Oh, awesome. I'm gonna tell you, Chad. When we went to Nebraska, which we were in Nebraska the same time you were in Colorado, and we we had our QDMA banquet the Saturday night. Of course, you missed that. You were still the, out in Colorado. but So we took the leftovers, which was uh, pulled pork and, yep, brisket. and brisket and then baked beans. Three, three gallons of coleslaw. Three, <laughs> three gallon bags of, of coleslaw and then two big old Tupperwares of, of baked beans. And so when we got out there, we ate baked beans. We left that. We ate the leftovers of barbecue. Well, the next day we ate the I forget what they made oh, lasagna. lasagna. That, that was, was the only meal of the whole week we didn't have beans in some part of our meal. <laughs> well, so you imagine five grown men and we're eating beans for uh, multiple meals a day, lunch and dinner. Baked beans. Then we had My chili. stomach is still jacked up from that trip. <laughs> well, if it if it makes you feel any, any better, the two nights that Luke and I were there by ourselves, we went with the easiest meals possible. So the first night we had fried hot dogs and green beans. Oh, yuck. <laughs> <laughs> and the second night we had fried brats and green beans. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're like, let's just keep this easy. We just want something to fill our stomachs. That's right. We can we can get by until until the other guys get here and start cooking big meals. Five course meals. What kind of grouse (laughs) is it they have out there? Uh, I think they're blue grouse. That's what they go by different stuff. I mean, it's one of those when you talk to Grandpa, he he remembers them as fools grouse because they. I mean, some of them will flush, and then there were two different times that, like Luke and I called some up to almost our feet. I mean, they were within five oh, steps my. of us, just walking around us. That's huh. just silly. What about the trout? I know you had posted some pictures of <clears throat> trout. Um, yeah, we're can't. It's those little brookies, little it, brook trout, and all those absolutely pretty as, of a fish as you'll see. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't. The other time, I guess they used to have big, big fish fries out there where they would go out and all split up and go to different holes and catch a big mess of brook trout and cook them up but the last time we didn't cook them so this time with with it so hot we had some time and we uh we went and caught a mess just to taste pretty much and there's they're small enough your your limit you can keep like 10 under under eight inches so there's not a whole lot of meat to those but Clearly, we just yeah. we're, we're looking yeah. at a, we just like cut the you cut the head off you cut the head off and gut them and then make a couple scores in the in the skin and then just batter them and fry them is how we did it. We just mm-hmm. pan fried them and they were they were really really good. Mm. Didn't but, taste like your normal rainbow trout grown in a 
<laughs> no, yeah. it didn't taste like they'd dog been eating pool. dog food for <laughs> yeah. their whole life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, these that's were, why. That's why I don't like trout. It's because they're all dog food yeah. fed trout, basically. But yeah, these are I've these are living in those these. living in those little tiny streams. I mean, mm-hmm. you you sneak up. They're really they're really skittish, but you walk up and like I had a, I brought a fly rod, but all I did was put a hook and a worm on it. But I I brought a fly rod because it was longer. And would just dabble it down in the holes, and I mean, if you didn't spook them, they would jump all over a worm. Wow. So we're we're getting ready to wrap up, but what what are your biggest tips for someone doing a do-it-yourself elk hunt, new to elk hunting? Um, what what are the three things that they just need to be very mindful of to stay successful? I'd say the the biggest is the research. I mean, this, these guys had already found the spot. Um, what the, the way they found this area was they would go out in the summers and ride with their wives. Okay. They would take a camping trip every year and ride around and they happened to find this area and, and found that there were, seemed to be more elk in there. And then on top of that, then, I mean, you've got so many different (laughs) apps and stuff on your phones to where you can you can look at google earth look at all those things and look at all the different we ended up on this trip found a trail that we didn't know about that saved us a ton of walking the last time we went out there we were walking way off the hill and we happened to find this four-wheeler trail that went on around and saved us a lot of walking but in the same sense Definitely. I mean, it's it's kind of a given with public land, but be willing to walk a lot farther than the normal person will. Sure. That's that's one of those that's pretty much a pretty much a given. Be be ready to walk. And sometimes, you know, though we got onto elk one night. We had we heard elk bugling from camp. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in the same sense, don't get so locked in on walking miles and miles away from camp. Sometimes there's the little hidey holes that nobody thinks to go to. Everybody gets locked in on going a certain direction, and there's a spot that's not that far from camp that the nobody camp goes bull. to. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, don't be afraid to hunt the camp bull. For sure. Well, cool. And Anything else on your mind? No, no I don't guess. You don't want to ask that question. <laughs> uh, no, there's always stuff on our minds. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think that, to me... It, it's a very unique trip that a lot of people, you know, when you think about out West, there's so much of a, you have to work out and you have to train and you have to do this and you have to pack light and you have to, you have to eat food from a little baggie, but then you yeah. go out there twice and it's been like, you eat like Kings and yeah. then you kill. I mean, and- you expect to, if you're walking seven miles and that kind of stuff and, and walking yourself out of breath, you expect to lose weight, but, <laughs> when you're eating like that it's it's, it's not as tough. big of a thing yeah. so it's i guess i guess you could say don't be intimidated by thinking you have to do you have to go in the gym all the time and be working out and trying to get in absolutely the best shape of your life mm. i mean it helps to be in pretty good shape i was running and i was running quite a bit this summer just preparing my lungs more than anything but sure um it's not one of those that you just have to now you're going to kill some bigger bulls if you go to some of those some of those spots where it's it's like that but it's still a fun trip 
No doubt. It sounds like a, a great time. And a lot of elk to eat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh. good deal. We're, we're super glad that uh, you got an elk and were able to come on the podcast and share well, it with us. Here's my question. My, my would you rather, Chad, would you rather, if you could pack one call, would you rather pack an elk bugle call or a cow call? No, oh, I wouldn't. See, I've got you on this one because I would always – it would be a mouth call now. Gotcha. Because the mouth call, I can you can do both. Okay, there you go. Done. So Done deal. just pack a mouth call, and it's, it was even more – last time I hadn't – I didn't really practice with it, didn't really know as much on the sounds. But, yeah, this time it's throw the mouth call in, and it's like turkey season. Walk uh, around with a mouth call in your cheek, and when you need it, you flip it over and make a sound. And awesome. it actually did better at imitating a young bull. Right. There you go. Cool so. deal. Sounds good. Well, Chad, we appreciate you coming on. Um, hopefully everybody learned a little bit about the DIY Colorado elk hunt. Um, and we all are very jealous of it, I'm sure. <laughs> yep. And uh, anyway, Matt, you got any final thoughts? I'm going to say get your rear back up here to Missouri soon. We're going to have all these big bucks up here shot before you get back. Yeah. You yeah. guys need to get the cameras figured out and get get us some spots figured out so when I come up here, it's I can kill a deer, too. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll be sure to, to make some good camp food for you, too, you joker. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. I'm going to – what do they call it when you spike? – I'm going to spike it with X-lax. Yeah, so he can't <laughs> stay up in the tree. Yeah. He's climbing up and down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, All right, man. sounds good, Chad. We appreciate it. All right, we'll see you. everybody enjoyed it, and we will catch you next time. See ya. Right. Thanks for having me on. See ya. See ya.